Well, today uh, we begin a new four-week series, uh, as Nate mentioned, on stewardship, and we're calling it uh, Solomon on Stewardship. And uh, the real objective of this whole series is to just to cast some biblical light, if you will, on the stewardship of uh, each of us stewarding in four areas. Uh, today it's stewarding our soul. Uh, next week it's stewarding ourselves. Uh, then we're going to be talking about stewarding our stuff. And then the fourth Sunday is going to be kind of related to this topic of uh, just stewardship and our church uh, related things to that. And uh, well, let me talk on two of the key words here that are in our series. First is stewardship. Stewardship is the uh, managing of, the caring for something that you have been trusted with. So if you've been entrusted with something, steward it. Uh, that's the idea. If you've been trusted with something, then you have a responsibility, you have an opportunity to be able to uh, steward that. Now, I realize uh, once the word stewardship comes up in a church setting, um, a few things can happen. Number one is, is if you've been around and you've been in like stewardship months or things like that at your church, one of the things that ends up happening is like, oh, crud, here we go. Four weeks of big time piling on guilt. Um, uh, maybe some of you know what I'm talking about with that, or some of you have already reached and, and held tightly on your wallet because you're like, here we go. Or others are thinking, yeah, I know how this gig works. Uh, we're, we're, this is a setup for our, our vertical church facility campaign. And, uh, a couple things with that. Number one, September 15th, the fourth Sunday that we're spending, we are going to be talking about our facility campaign, just straight up on the table. We are going to be, and that's going to be part of that, that we're talking about. Not the only thing, but part of that, because we are coming up to the end of our whole facility campaign. And I look forward to being over with it, tell you the truth. Uh, with that, but that we're going to be talking about that. But the reason we're talking about this is just because as leadership as a church, we've just said, hey, with the season that we're in right now and everything that's happening and everything we're looking ahead towards, we just think this is a good time for us all just to kind of pause and talk on the topic of stewarding in our own lives and what's going on there. So that's the heart of what this is coming out of. Um, I had someone say to me before, uh, Doug, you know, you, you are usually spot on and yet a little off. And in other words, what they meant by that is like do things a little bit kind of on an off kind of a different way. Uh, that's what I intend to do with this. Um, this isn't going to be a, a self-help series. Um, this is going to be approached maybe a little bit differently than you've been used to. And especially today. Today's an interesting day. Stewardship. Second word is Solomon. Uh, Solomon on stewardship. Why Solomon? Well, a couple reasons. Uh, one is because he's a central figure in the two books that we're going to be using as the core of our talk. We're going to a Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And Solomon was the key human author in both of those. Now, when I say that, please understand, we understand here at church, we're a Harvest Bible church, and we believe that the Bible is God's word. But yet, Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 21, talks about in there, about how God had his words penned down through, uh, through those who wrote the Bible, the human authors of it. This is God's word, but they're human authors that God involved in here. And one of the cool things about that is, is as you read the Bible, like for instance, the Apostle Paul, when Paul writes, he writes like a lawyer. Uh, he writes like an attorney. I mean, semicolon, semicolon, especially in the Greek. He's got sentences this long. And, and yet when we go to Solomon, uh, he's the human author of the book. So that's what's a big deal. But here's the, here's the other thing on top of that. He's the perfect guy to be hearing from on the topic of stewarding our stuff and our things and our soul. And the reason I say that is because, um, well, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. And if you're newer to the Bible, uh, just look in the contents page, and it's not too far into the Bible, and it's in the Old Testament. 1 Kings is between 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Chronicles. It's sandwiched in between there. And uh, let's learn a little bit, uh, just as we enter this series, about this guy, Solomon, who's the human author. And I say he's the perfect guy to be writing on this. Why? Well, let, let's learn a little bit more about him. So 1 Kings uh, chapter 3. Now, in, in, uh, David 
has been king now for a long time, okay? We're, I'm saying that because we've just finished up Joshua. We've made a major jump ahead. David has been king. First Kings chapter 2, you can look there and you can see that it tells that King David died. But First Kings chapter 2 also tells in there about how he went through this process and ends up getting Solomon, his son, as his predecessor as king. So in First Kings chapter 3, Solomon is the king. So, by the way, who was Solomon's mom? Um, Bathsheba. Um, David uh, had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba, and the baby that she was pregnant with out of that ended up dying. But David and Bathsheba later had another child and his name was Solomon. And Solomon is now king of Israel. And let me just say this, uh, it has nothing to do with stewardship. But whenever you hear the name Solomon, you should just be in your own soul, be remembering that God is so big that he can even end up using our sinful choices for his glory. It's really a cool thing. Well, we're reading about Solomon. He's uh, been king for a little while. And uh, verse 3, chapter 3 of 1 Kings, and the first four words I love because it says, Solomon loved the Lord. That gives you a little bit of an idea on this, I think, younger man. I think around this time, he's probably in his early 20s. I'm not sure exactly, but probably most likely. And what a cool way to start out. Solomon loved the Lord. Let's keep reading. Walking in the statutes of David, his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. We're not going to go into the details of this. Uh, Keep reading. And the king went to Gibeon. Solomon went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said to him, hey, Solomon, what would you like? Can you imagine if God all of a sudden stopped you somewhere and asked that question? Well, what would you ask for? Uh, Here's my answer. It depends on what week. Um, And that's kind of sad. But but here in it, he's king. He's a young man in king. and, And God poses the question, hey, my friend, what do you want? Uh, that's a literal, literal translation of Hebrew. Just kidding. Okay. Just kidding. Okay, thanks. Verse 6, And Solomon said, um, You, God, have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. Pause. Hey, dads. Your kids are watching. I mean, here, God comes to this young man who's over, over things, and he, and, he, and he asks this question of, of uh, hey, hey, what do you want? And where, where does Solomon go? The, the thing he's going right off is talking about uh, what, what his dad had done. Hey, dads, are you displaying living righteousness and faithfulness before your children that they can literally be able to say that someday? Yeah, my dad was that. So important. Let's keep reading. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne to this day. Uh, Solomon, in other words, understands the sovereignty of God at work. Verse 7, and now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king. I love the attitude, your servant, your slave unto you. In place of David, my father, although I am but a little child, I do not even know like how to go out and how to come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or, or, or counted or, uh, for, for the multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people. Wow. Now, I wonder if I would have been asking for a car. Depends on the week. But this dude, a young man, 
king over Israel, has the weight of leadership on his shoulders, and he's just loving the Lord, and he's saying, God, give me wisdom and discernment to lead these people in a way that would honor you. Let's keep reading verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I uh, now do according to your word. Behold, I give you wise and a discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you will rise after. Do you understand what he's saying here? I am about to bless you, Solomon, with what you asked for, like no one before you or no one after you, and we're after him. So, so this guy's got it above us. Verse 14, and if, oh, uh, 13, I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all of your days. God's not stingy. This isn't a health, wealth, and prosperity call. But God like wants to give. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. That's some background on Solomon. Here he is. He's king of a superpower, a world superpower. And on top of that, he's a man blessed with wisdom and discernment to be able to do what he's able to do. And I just kind of walk away from this and I go, I want to hear from a guy like that. I just want to hear from a guy like that. I love hearing people talk. I love sitting and just hearing people's story. And if this dude's got that much God-given smarts about him and he's like a king and a superpower, would that not be the coolest thing to sit at his feet and say, dude, just open your heart up talk to me i would love that that's what we're going to do today that's what we're going to do and uh solomon on stewardship by the way before we go to where we're going to go a key statement in our series key statement in our series you are a soul with a body this is really important Because I think I and we generally think we are a body with a soul. That's not theologically correct. You are a soul. Not that you have a soul. Not that a soul is attached to you. Not in addition to you. No, no, no. You are a soul. We're keying in on that today. Next Sunday, we're going to be keying in on the with a body part. Today, you are a soul. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I want for you to just to watch this. Okay? I've got a helper, my wife, best helper ever. She's going to take that side of the room, and we're going to see how this goes. Because uh, it didn't go so well for me in the first service. <laughs> Let's see how this goes, all right? Just, just watch this, all right? You going, babe? Okay. Oh. <clears throat> yeah, thanks, Kayla. I got the groove. Are you in Ecclesiastes chapter one? Turn there. What does that have to do with anything? Hold on. Just keep that in mind. Karen, did you see me go up the stairs with that? That was really cool. I didn't think that in the first service. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Solomon is writing uh, near the end of his life. That's important. He's looking back. Uh, he's, he's been king. He's for a long time under his kingship. Israel has experienced like the greatest prosperity, the greatest power they've, they've ever known in their history under his wing. The world has come to Solomon's feet. World leaders have literally come just to sit and watch and hear. He's a billionaire tycoon. He's a world leader extraordinaire. He's a builder, he's an inventor, he is a corporate magnate. And he has uh, PhDs 
in philosophy and philandering. And he's looking back. And what we're about to read is actually quite haunting. It's a haunting introspection. And um, I might call this, it's a gut check on life day. This is a gut check on life. I love this book because he's willing to talk about things that most people are not willing to talk about. And he's done it all. He's done way more than you or I could ever do, ever afford, ever make happen. And he's looking back on it all. And I think this is essentially where I'm coming to is this is an argument that you are a soul yearning to be satisfied. So just sit back. Today's not a self-help day. No three points to go home with. Just sit back. Let's just take it in, all right? Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. By the way, the the Hebrew word here for vanities that is repeated over and over again in this statement, it has the idea of of something that's there and and it's about what it leaves behind, which is nothing. Hmm, that's interesting. Like a soap bubble. So cool to look at. So interesting and and then pop. And it's gone. And what are you thinking when it's gone? More soap bubbles. Again. Oh, that's so cool. Pop. And it's gone. More bubbles. Vanity of vanities. All of life is vanity. Pop. Verse 3, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes. A generation comes. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises. The sun goes down and hastes to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuit, the wind returns. All the streams run into the sea. (laughs) But it's never full. They go to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. All things are just full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? No, it's already been done in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things. There's no remembrance of former people. Nor will there be any remembrance of latter things. Nor will there be any remembrance of latter people yet to be among those who come after. Whoa, dude, did you have like a bad night the night before? Isn't this just kind of one of those times where it's like, let's just all get depressed. 
I love the fact he's so honest. I love the fact that he just takes this honest review of life. And the fact of the matter is, is you and I have thought these things. Maybe in different words, picking up with different things. Life is just this unending, weary series of circles. The sun goes up, the rivers go in and out, the sun goes down. We see, we hear, we exist, we live, we die. Here, there, gone, forgotten. That's it. That's what life is all about. I mean, we wake, we eat, we hear, we talk, we go, we work, we eat, we sleep, push or repeat. Seriously, that's it? Hold on to that thought. Hold on to that question right now. That's it? Because has your dog ever come up to you and asked that question? Like, I sleep and you feed me and I go out in the yard or I go on a walk, I sleep. Is that it? <laughs> no, cats definitely wouldn't do that. No, we have two. Just kidding. But let me, let me ask, what, what about... And I mean this seriously. What about the animals, say, in the Serengeti? Do they ever ask that question? What about trees? Do do they like, what am I doing here? Can you answer that for me? What's the deal? I just, I can't even move. What about the sun? This is it? This is all I do? What about the sky? I'm serious about this. What about the stars? What about the mountains and the rivers? Has your car ever asked you? All you do is use me. This is it? You put your hands all over me? This is it? Does your house ever say, I am so bored with you? Friends, I bring all this to the table because this is what makes us different from everything else that God has created. You are a soul. That's what this is about. This is the the haunting questions of a soul coming out. This is is what's, what's within you. What God has created, you, you, you were built with this. Every human was. And there is a yearning within you and within me for something to really bring me satisfaction. I'm looking for satisfaction. You are. You were this week. And guess what? You will be later today. And you will be this week as well. Why? Because you are a soul. What I love about Ecclesiastes is uh, Solomon just doesn't lay the haunting thing out there. He says, okay, okay, okay. So let's play this game. Let's go this route. Because I've been able to like to do everything. And let's apply it to the question at hand. So game on. Here we go. Game on. And he lays out the game. Let's read. Verse 13. Uh, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And, and, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Do you get what's going on? He's in research mode right now. He's clicked into not poetry, uh, haunting thinking mode. He's like, I want to talk about answers. And I want to look at them. And that's what's happening here. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And friends know this. This dude has seen way more than you ever have or ever will see. Because he was in the position 
and he had the finances to do it. I don't care what in this room your financial capacity is, how big or how small. I don't care to what extreme you may have lived life. I'm just telling you, you've got to look at this text like this dude has topped you and hear him. I've seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, all is like a bubble. Pop. It's like a striving after the wind. It's just that illustration. You go ahead, can the wind and sell that baby. You can't. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, this is really important here because we're going to see the statement multiple times in the text here. Uh, he, what he's doing is he's having, a, he's having a conversation with his own soul. By the way, we generally think of heart as when we talk in American culture, we talk heart. That's where the, the warm, fuzzy feelings are. You know, I just love you out of the heart. Uh, when they're talking about the heart, that's not so much we're talking about. This is a real cognitive thinking. In all reality, when he's talking about heart, he's talking about what's going on right here. And what's going on right here is soul work. That's what's happening here. How you think, how you process what's going on in this. He's talking about, I said in my soul, I've acquired great wisdom. He's not bragging. He's just telling the reality of it. Surpassed all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experiences of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my soul to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. Isn't that interesting? Because when you start getting wise, you see the pain. And you see the sin. This week I tweeted, I'm just overwhelmed with the pain and the hopelessness that's going on around us. When you come to see it, it's overwhelming. That's what he's talking about here. The person who is really thinking in their soul, it it just takes them to be real about thinking of it. No more stupid games. That's what he's talking about. Chapter two, verse one, I said in my soul, come now, I will test you. He's going after it, guys. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, uh, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it's mad. And of pleasure, uh, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart's still guiding me with wisdom. And how to lay hold on folly till I might see what it was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Bubble, pop, pleasure. Then I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which the water, uh, to water the forest of growing trees. By the way, where they lived, that was a massive, inventive, incredibly creative uh, process, hard process to make happen. I made great works. And then seven, I bought, oh, here's America. I bought. In his context, I bought male and female slaves. I'm really servants, employees, and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. Listen, if you want to top out how many cows we had, he had more. That's the point of it. Verse 8, so I also gathered. Oh, this is an interesting one. How about just gathering and gathering and gathering? I gathered for myself silver and gold. I just piled it up in the treasure of kings and provinces. I just had a whole huge stinking castle full of money and stuff. It was beyond belief. I got singers, men and women. And I got many concubines. I 
Let me just put it in reality today. He understands what porn is all about. Verse 9, so I became great power, prestige, and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me during this. And to look at this, verse 10, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. I got to tell you, friends, could you imagine being in that situation? You see the car? I got it. You see the house? I got that. You see... You name it, I got it. Can you imagine living like that, having the capacity to do that? What this is really ultimately doing is not setting him apart as someone so unlike us. It's setting him close to us as someone who's just like us. He's just able to do what we want to do. This guy is you and me. And may I remind you, 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon loved the Lord. Mm. this is way more than just a salvation thing. This is a stewarding your soul every day, all the time thing. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for it all. Then I considered all that my hands had done, And the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, it was all vanity. Pop. A striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Verse 1, chapter 2, pleasure. That's got to be it. That's got to be it. Laugh it up. Booze it up. Go for it, man. Go for it, man. Go for it, man. And he did. Verse 4, I know. Let's just do great works so we can be able to see all the constructed stuff and, and the things that we have, you know, the houses, the vineyards, the garden, the parks, the pools. By the way, can you imagine building a pool back in that day in that part of the world? Verse 7, I know. It's just buy more stuff. Yeah, you know, lots of servants and and herds and flocks. More than anybody. And then verse 8, you know, just gather stuff. You know, gather the cash, gather the music, gather the entertainment, gather the babes. You know, all the delights of man. Verse 9. I know, here's another one, power and prestige. If I get greatness, if I'm like the most awesome at my career, if I get the respect of other people, if I have the power of greatness, that'll meet it, that'll meet the whole. And verse 10, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. I'm telling you, friends, this dude was full throttle. And on certain days, he's doing everything I wish I could. And same for you. I mean, what an awesome life. Constant parties, and you got the money to party it right. I mean, all the money, all the real estate, all the women, all the men, all the power. Dude, sweet. All is vanity. Pop. Friends, stuff is not wrong. But it will not satisfy you. Solomon is just putting on paper the hunt, our hunt, your hunt, my hunt, our quest for the satisfaction. And he's yearning for it here. He's just laying that on the table. We all yearn for it. We crave for it. It's like this Romans 8 talks about this eager longing, this inward groaning that we have. There must be more than this. There's got to be more to life. There's got to be satisfaction somewhere in this. 
So I have a question. This last week, what have you been hunting for, thinking that that will bring you satisfaction? Because you have been, as I have been. And the question on the table is, what has that been? I wrote down some various possibilities. If I had a loving spouse, I'd be satisfied. If I had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, I'd be satisfied. If I had a parent that loved me, I'd be satisfied. If there was just peace in my home, I would be satisfied. If we could just have children, I'd be so satisfied. If we could just have obedient children, I'd be satisfied. If I could just have a child or children that met my expectations, I would be satisfied. If I had money, and I'm not talking about multimillionaire, I'm just talking about enough money just to get like through this month, I would be happy. If I just had more power or prestige, if I had a more successful career, if I could just finally get into retirement with a 401k that would be big enough to be able to carry me through, then I'd be satisfied. If I could just have some ease in my life, some comfort in my life, then I would. If, If I could just be left alone, I would be happy. Sex, drugs, not only illegal anymore, rock and roll. If I could just be that stud, walking down the street, pants down, hat turned, looking like the dude, so that everybody looked at me and you thought, that dude is a dude, then I would be happy. I'm telling you, as I get older, I just look at that and I just go, you are so, I'm sorry if this is any of you, but you just look so stupid. (laughs) And here's why. Because you're a big fake. That's why. And you can fool other stupid people. And I'm talking, that applies to this whole list of stuff. Friends, We have bought into the game that the stuff of this world can somehow satisfy. And kids and teens, hear me in this. It won't. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying these things aren't things to be able to do. You know, dress up, look cool, whatever. But if that's the thing that you think is going to be the thing that is going to satisfy your soul, you are in for a hard life. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. And I know how I struggle with it. If I could just be a land tycoon or a business mogul or a world traveler or an academic whiz, maybe not even an academic whiz, but if I could just get an A in that class, my life would be happy. If I could just play professional sports, (laughs) that was one of my dreams as a kid. Yeah, sorry. If I could just have the big music career, if I could just be popular, or here's one, if I could just look spiritual, I got my act together, dude. And you don't. Just being the tough guy or the good-looking, sweet-hot-looking chick. Or if you could just be a chick magnet. Yeah. Like I never was. If I could just have a bigger house, a bigger car, I don't know. Solomon walked into every one of those candy stores. 
And he went in and he tasted and he tried and he played and he came out and he says, please hear me. It's a candy store and it's going to pop and it doesn't satisfy. It's not the answer. Verse 11, then I considered, then I surveyed all that my hands had done and the toil I expended in doing it. Behold, it was all vanity, a striving after the wind. Pop. Just want another bubble. Pop. Oh, come on, another one. Pop. Now, now I need another one. Pop. Hey, that thing that's yearning within you to be satisfied, God put that in you. God stuck it there. And God stuck it there for a reason. God stuck it there that you would yearn and long for something that would be able to fill that. And the answer to that is relationship with him. That's the answer. I'm not talking about fulfilling a list of do's and don'ts. I'm talking about a living, breathing, real Ongoing, moving along, real deal, relationship with your creator. Because friends, sex won't fill that hole. Money won't fill that hole. Stuff won't fill that hole. And you and I, we all know that. And yet we keep going to the candy store. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Verse 13, I just want to read part of the verse because this is the part that applies to today. Solomon says, the end of the matter is this. All has been heard, two words. Fear God. What does he mean by that? Well, I think it might be better if we watch a story of Jonathan and Dora who are living, breathing, modern day testimonies of what Solomon is saying. We got engaged in October of 2007, and shortly after that, things started to get really bad. There were times where I didn't understand him. I wouldn't see him weekends at a time. At 18, my father passed away, and I took that very hard. I uh, actually blamed God. I had resentment for God. I, I had anger towards him. The anger... Um, really manifested itself when I started fighting professionally. I started fighting outside of the ring for money, backyard fights, alleys, bare knuckle, fist to fist. When everything just came to light, it was all news to me. I just, I didn't even know that it was happening. After rehabilitation, my life just kept spiraling, spiraling out of control. The, the bottom was fast approaching. I could not take my emotions, my depression, the hatred I had for myself. I couldn't take it anymore, so I got into my truck, went and parked, and swallowed a handful of pills and tried to end my life. I woke up three days later in the hospital. I just needed something um, to help me get through everything that I was going through. My sister happened to bring me a bulletin about the Chicago North Campus. I decided, okay, let me go try. People were opening their Bibles and writing in their Bibles, and I thought, I didn't know you could write in a Bible. 
I go in and I sit with her, she starts asking me if I know about Christ. And I even said, I said, I thought we were here to talk about Jonathan. And she said, no, we, we need to talk about you first. I just remember her explaining what Jesus did on the cross for us. And it came to one point where I said to her, when can I do this? What, when can I give my life to Christ? Because I can't do this anymore. And she said, you could do it right now. And so, that's when I just, oh, I just poured everything out. I just gave it to him and I just said, I'm yours, I'm completely yours. Do whatever you want with me. And then I walked out of that room, and man, I just felt so much lighter, like I can't even describe it. It was just amazing. Jonathan was like, don't even try to get me to go to church because I am not gonna go. It's great that you're going, but I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna be a part of that. She sat me down and she said, I'm not gonna push you to go to church anymore. I thought, finally, she's off my back. No more talking about going to church. No more praying before a meal. It's over. Whew. But then another part of me keeps looking at her and how strong she's become. I see the changes, and I got jealous. Truly, I got jealous. Why can't I have that? I started to go to Harvest at Niles. Number one, the dress code, awesome. Being able to wear my cons and some jeans and a shirt right there. The first few times he was standing with his arms crossed and not singing, or he was just there. The Word of God is what really that's what really captivated my heart. That's what started it all. Started raising those hands during service and aiming in every once in a while. Amen, brother. I was that guy. And then something just totally changed. God is giving us the opportunity to start a new uh, campus up on the North Shore of Chicago. The Holy Spirit told me I will be at the Harvest North Shore campus opening. I will be there on Easter Sunday. I kept feeling this, this one single string just holding my heart back. It was just, it was gnawing at me. All through the service, you have to go. You have to give your life. There's nothing holding it back. Get over it. And after the service, I grabbed one of our elders. And I said, Jeff, what do I have to do? And he said, well... I tell you what, let's pray, confess your sins, and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I did. And then he came to me and with an elder and said, Jonathan just gave his life to Christ. And I, I just couldn't believe it. By far, the most peace and best decision I've ever made in my entire life. I needed it more than I could ever imagine. I needed a savior. Priceless, priceless. And it was just so simple and so beautiful and glorifying God. It was, I wouldn't want it any other way. To see so many people come together and want to be a part of the wedding was just amazing. I had never ever experienced really strangers just wanting to do things for you out of just love. We were so blessed. That was the wedding of our dreams. Doris still tells me today she wants to do it again. I am a child of God now. I'm a new creature. And that's what I can hang my hand on are the promises of the Bible. I'm not alone. I'm not forsaken. I'm forgiven. of vanities. It's all vanity. So cool. So awesome.
Four bubbles, Doug. Four bubbles. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will, be, and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. It's time to take communion. Would the communion servers please come and get in place for us? Friends, communion is not a time of just remembering an event. It's not just about reminding that Jesus came and died on the cross, making reconciliation back with God available. It's not just about an event. It is about a relationship. The cross is all about the whole that you and I have, that longing that you and I have in our soul. The cross is about the filling of that hole. It's about coming back into relationship with God. And if you've come to a place in your life where you've driven the stake in the ground, where you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is a time to come and remember that. Don't remember the event alone. Remember this is about a relationship. And I ask you the question while we're doing this today. How are you stewarding your soul? I'm not asking if you are. I am asking how are you stewarding your soul? And that starts by coming to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you haven't done that, you need to do that. That's on the table for you to make that decision. But today, please understand, I am so not just talking about that person. I'm talking about for the person who knows Jesus Christ as your Savior. How are you stewarding your redeemed soul? You entered in relationship. Is it anorexic and starving to death? Or is it growing and maturing and and satisfied by God and God alone? And if your house burned down this week and your car blew up this week and death even came upon you and your family, you even in the hurt and the pain of it all would still be able within there know that you are satisfied because you are in relationship with your creator. Let's participate in communion.